Hello there, you're welcome again to Colavari Creativity Series and this is a podcast that is focused on exploring the world of creativity and innovation. My name is Zika and I facilitate this podcast. This is the fifth episode and this, if this is your first time tuning in, you are very, very much welcome. Don't miss out on the previous episodes, you can listen to them on most of your favorite podcast directories available on Google Podcasts, on Deezer, on Stitcher. And we're also on YouTube. You can also follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Colavari Solutions. Last episode was very, very interesting. We had an interview with Drew Boyd and we talked about Inside the Box. And I think one of the things that stood out for me through the um, interview is the fact that, you know, most times we say think outside the box, think outside the box, but we don't know that we are overwhelming our brain most times when we try to think outside the box. But thinking inside the box, Drew made us understand that it gives the brain some constraints and um, gives it a context of thinking and helps you be more productive and um, creative in that space. Okay, so you already know that we have Aziz here. So, hi, Aziz. Hi, Zika. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Fine. As always, I'm excited. Um, but I want to give a shout-out to a friend of mine, IJ. Okay. Because she's the one that sent me a link to an article. And that's how oh. I met our guest for today. Oh. Yeah. That's so, nice. So, shout-out to you, IJ. IJ. <laughs> That's nice. Okay, so um, as this talks about our guest for today, we have another guest. Her name is Natalie Nixon. And um, it was a very, very, very interesting um, interview we had with her as well. Um, she's the author of the book, The Creativity Leap. And we learned so much from her. We'll be sharing some of the excerpts of the interview today. She touched on a lot of areas. Um, she talked about hybrid thinking, improvisation at work, and some lessons from jazz music so i'll just give a bit of a background about natalie and we'll hear her introduce herself so she's a creative strategist who happily integrates wonder and rigor into her life and work natalie converted a 16-year career as a professor into a successful consulting practice at figurate thinking she advises and emboldens companies to transform their business results by applying creativity and strategic foresight so Natalie Nixon introduces herself here. Let's listen to her. Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. My name is Natalie Nixon. I'm a creativity strategist and the president of Figure Eight Thinking. I'm based in Philadelphia on the east coast of the United States. And I advise leaders on transformation. Uh, specifically, I help them to apply wonder and rigor on a consistent basis so that they amplify business value. In my work, I see a solid, bold line from creativity to business impact. And uh, that's, that's what I do. And I love, I love my work. Uh, well, I don't believe anything is by chance, but it certainly was not a straight line. I've always been open to opportunities and I've, I've, I'm a person who very much believes in uh, paying attention to my intuition and to follow my heart. Uh, it's my perspective that when we follow our hearts, we will ultimately do work that we are really good at because we show up ready to do the work, ready to apply the rigor, uh, to stay longer, to get up earlier because the work energizes us. 
And so I have a loopy background in anthropology and fashion. And I also was a professor for 16 years. And every and I my background in fashion was an, as an entrepreneurial hat designer. And then I also worked in global fashion sourcing, which um, gave me some really great opportunities to live and work abroad in Sri Lanka and in Portugal and traveled throughout Asia. And every opportunity I've had in my career has ultimately been very uh, interconnected. I learned something that I can build upon. Um, I was a professor for 16 years and I first taught the business of fashion. And then I created a strategic design MBA program that integrated design thinking and to how people were learning leadership and strategy and, and financial operations. And I started my company really as a side hustle um, and that came about after I gave a TEDx talk in Philadelphia, uh, where I was proclaiming that the future of work is jazz. And that led to invitations into companies to speak and facilitate and consult. And it was through all of those uh, side hustles that I started figure eight thinking. And then about a year after that, realized I was having more fun with my side hustle and decided to leave academia after 16 years and I've never looked back. Um, I've, I've just celebrated four years in my business and it continues to grow. I like the fact that Natalie emphasized the link between creativity and business impact. I mean, a lot of times people, when they hear about creativity, it's always about, you know, idea generation and that's where it seems to end. But I like the fact that she was able to link creativity with business impact. Creativity and innovation is about value adding is about value offering okay so companies who are creative and innovative tend to grow faster they have richer product mix they expand into new categories and they generally tend to command higher margins for their products if you have noticed we ask every guest that comes their own view on what creativity is so we also got to ask natalie as well what her point of view on creativity is. And here's what she said. Well, I, I wrote a book called The Creativity Leap, Unleash Curiosity, Improvisation, and Intuition at Work. And uh, the purpose of writing the book was to offer a simple and accessible way for people to think about creativity. And so in that book, I define creativity as toggling between wonder and rigor to solve problems. That's how I think about creativity. It's going back and forth between wonder and rigor for problem solving. And wonder is all about curiosity, audacity, big blue sky thinking, suspending judgment. It's about pausing and it's also about awe. Uh, and rigor is incredibly important to creativity. Creativity is not doing whatever you feel like. Creativity loves constraints and rigor is about discipline and deep focus and time on task. And uh, both are really necessary. So that's how I think about creativity. It's toggling. So when you think about if you have an old school radio, you're, you're, you're tuning in between the yeah. two. So that's the way I think about creativity. It's not just about your head in the clouds and wonder. And it needs the rigor. It needs both of those things. So it's about toggling between wonder and rigor in order to solve problems and produce novel value. And I think about creativity as being the engine for innovation. 
her definition of creativity, I think, highlights the two extremes that we must learn to balance. Um, there's rigor and there's the, the wonder. And I think um, the wonder part is what a lot of people usually associate with creativity. Yeah. But you would not get anything meaningful out of just wondering. You also need that rigor. You need the context. And I think uh, Drew mentioned this in the last episode. So, I mean, our ability to balance the, the rigor and the wonder is really what makes us um, creative. Else, we will end up with fluffy ideas that are of no impact. Because at the end of the day, we what we are trying to do is make people see that there is benefit out of creativity and innovation. So our ability to combine rigor and wonder, like Natalie just mentioned, really is what gives us the result that, that we desire out of creativity and innovation. I think it's also one of the things I appreciate about the podcast because before it's, I mean, if you say just be creative, uh, what I hear is, you know, just wonder, think of something. But this, um, the episodes have made me understand that part about Rigo. If not, like you said, we'll just, you know, we'll just bring ideas that are not really valuable to the situation. Just to add, I think that's what Drew was emphasizing when he, when he was talking about brainstorming. Yeah. And that's what happens a lot of times with brainstorming. I mean, yeah, it's it's exciting, it's mm-hmm. interesting, there's mm-hmm. a lot of you know, a lot of laughing, there's fun. <laughs> but the ideas out of brainstorming, I don't know how many <laughs> of those ideas have ever been implemented. Mm. So if you put yourself in the CEO's shoe, you understand, and if your perception of of um, uh, creativity is brainstorming and he's asking himself, we've had several brainstorming sessions, what has come out of them? Nothing. So if so when he hears creativity, he's like it's just time wasting. Yeah. I, I don't have time for that. Yeah. And that's why what, what we are also doing, like you mentioned, we are also trying to help re-educate people yeah. what creativity and innovation is all about. It's not just fluffy thinking. It's not just, you know, wishing. It actually impacts on business results. And that's why I'd spend time to give some of these um, facts and research that has been done. Creativity actually impacts on business results. It's proven. Apple is a very good example of a company that came... I mean, before Steve Jobs came, Apple was on the brink of bankruptcy. Years of innovation, Apple became one of the most valuable valuable companies in the world. It's because of innovation. So this is to state again that if you have been listening to our podcast alone, that's very unfair because you're doing your employer and your fellow employees and friends, you know, a lot more harm than good. So please share this podcast because we're trying to re-educate, change the narrative about what creativity is. And it's very important for everybody to understand it. Okay, so moving on. Um, I think in the previous episode with Drew, he mentioned something about combination as a way of enhancing creativity and Natalie used the term hybrid thinking and um, I think both of them are trying to emphasize the same thing so let's hear what Natalie um, says about hybrid thinking so I've always been hybrid but I've never been confident about being hybrid I always felt like I had to choose one thing only that I was really interested in and I was always interested in so many different things and it actually wasn't until I made the decision to earn my PhD in design management while working full-time I was still a professor I had a master's degree but I didn't have a PhD and um, this field of design management was the first place well actually that's not true probably anthropology was was an early place where I felt 
that this was a discipline, cultural anthropology, where I could explore so many different lenses through the so many different uh, behaviors through, through the lens of culture. Um, but still, I wasn't confident that I had a way to frame uh, my hybridness. I, I, I'm a very hybrid thinker. I'm a very integrative thinker. I, I thrive and flourish in multidisciplinary. And so um, also after I completed the PhD, that's when I launched the strategic design MBA program at Philadelphia University, which is now Thomas Jefferson University. And um, we actually called it the MBA for hybrid thinkers. It was really the best of design school meets the best of business school. I mean, I believe that solutions to some of the problems people face in their fields have already been solved in other fields. And that's, and that's how beautiful hybrid thinking is. It means we're able to combine um, knowledge from different fields and solve problems. I have also noticed that people who work in fields different from their training tend to be more creative or more productive. From my personal experience, as somebody who found, found myself working in a field different from my training, I think there are three reasons for this. One, people who are in fields that are different from their training or their normal experiences, they tend to be more open to learning. And when you are more open to learning, you are more open to new ideas. So for a lot of people who whose training who find themselves in fields that we're trained for, they tend to be less receptive to new ideas. They say, you know, that will not work here. That's not how we do it here. And those are things that block creativity. That's one. Two, I also think that people who whose training are different from their fields in terms of where they work, they can escape the mental blocks in those fields. A, a lot of what we call... Um, body of knowledge of certain fields, they come with their restrictions and their regulations and their rules. So in this field, this is how we do it. What you are saying is that I do not entertain new ideas. But when, I mean, if I use myself as an example, my background is in engineering. Uh, when I started working, I, I worked in uh, strategy and business development before moving to human resources. So when I, when I came to human resources, you know, the way I thought was engineering, engineering strategy-like. So I was able to see beyond the restrictions that human Future. resources would have yeah. exactly placed on other people. So my thoughts and ideas were not restricted to how the typical human resource person, you know, person would think. Would think. Yeah. So I was more open to new ideas. I was not restricted. That's, that's true. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you're also able to import ideas from your training and your other previous experiences. So you can solve problems with a different view or a different perspective. So if you combine those three things, people who find themselves in fields different from their training or their previous experiences tend to be more creative and more productive. I remember we mentioned this in one of the like earlier episodes and I was speaking with someone who is in like tech tech field and we were talking and I said oh why don't learn DJing because I see you have like you, you have like, a flair you have a flair yeah. for it and he started not maybe learning structured way but online and he said it has really helped his um, even thinking. his work yeah, yes exactly. his yeah. work and 
I think I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, so before we move ahead with the interview, let's take a very quick break. We will be right back. Bulavara Solutions is a people-focused human resources firm based in Nigeria. We are curious about people, learning, and innovation. We seek to build collaborative relationships with organizations in their quest to discover and develop the talents they require to win. At Collaborate Solutions, we are willing to explore innovative ways of developing the careers of those we work with. We are focused on working with organizations in building a culture of learning and innovation that empowers the people to excel. To learn more about Colavera Solutions, visit our website at www.colaverasolutions.com. Follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Colavera Solutions. Okay, so we're back and um, we're still on um, the fifth episode. We had an interview with Natalie Nixon, like we mentioned earlier, and we're going to continue to share excerpts from this interview with you. Okay, so um, one of the issues we uh, mentioned in the previous episode is how the work environment stifles creativity. And um, Natalie addressed um, the issue, saying that companies should be structured to solving for yes rather than solving for no. And she had a very interesting view on this. Yes, I actually, it was actually my interview with Michael Foreman, who is the founder and president of FS Investments. It's a financial services firm. And he talked to me about how too often in organizations, we kind of bow down to the tyranny of no instead of really embracing yes, and specifically yes and, which is a much more expansive view of what could be, what could come next. And some of that uh, no, no, no (laughs) comes from our educational backgrounds. Uh, We have a lot of question shaming in our backgrounds where we're afraid to ask questions because we've been slapped on the hand too many times by asking questions. And it's through asking questions that we get to the more expansive yes. And it really starts with leaders who who demonstrate in their through their own examples how to be uh, better at asking questions because they they model it. They show us that they have their own questions about a particular launch or process or about themselves. And when you, it's not easy to do that as a leader because you are letting go of control. And you don't know how people will respond, but actually it's, it's, it's kind of um, counterintuitive when we see that kind of vulnerability in our leadership, it actually helps us as members of the team to be a little bit more confident, also being vulnerable and also asking questions. So solving for the tyranny of no starts with, with getting to yes by, in, by encouraging more questions. I mean, Natalie, on on a very important issue that we had mentioned in episode one, and that is the issue of control or conformity. I think the requirement for conformity is very strong in humans, and it shows itself up in the workplace. Um, people, people like to conform, and that's why every time you say 
yes to a question, you are saying, I am opening the box to the unknown. But when you say no, you basically, what you are saying is that I prefer things to remain the way they are. And people are comfortable with things remaining the way they are. But the issue with that is that every time you 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 say no, you are you are preventing yourself from exploring an idea that might have value. I think um, she mentioned something. Uh, one of the reasons people, you know, are afraid is because they might be damned or shamed. Yeah. And um, I think that's one of the things that was interesting about her talking about what we can learn from jazz music. Because if you're familiar with jazz music, you know that there's nothing called there's nothing like a mistake. Yeah. Um, musicians are taught to view mistakes as opportunity to create new music. So um, she actually told us, she explained to us what organizations can learn from jazz music regarding creativity. So let's hear that. Well, jazz, it turns out, is an incredibly valuable way to look at how we can design our work. It's a lens. It's a pair of glasses we can try on. And I was very influenced by the work of Frank Barrett, who has these seven principles of jazz improvisation that we can also um, apply to the way we design our organizations, our teams, and the way leaders work. And actually, I talk about this a lot in a TEDx Philadelphia talk I gave in 2014, where I was really talking about how the future of work is jazz, but just a couple, just two examples. One, one of the principles that Frank Barrett talks about is solo and support. So in a jazz performance, there are the moments where there's a soloist, but they aren't the soloist for the entire composition. They recede to the back and then they're often also supporting the next musician who is soloing. So what does that look like in our organizations? Well, maybe it looks like leaders who are able to take a back seat every now and then and allow a younger person to take a lead, to lead a meeting, or to allow uh, someone who doesn't work at headquarters but who's out in the field to come back and demonstrate something, right? So that's what solo support could look like in an organization. And another big example um, from Frank Barrett's work is embracing mistakes. So in jazz, there's no such thing as a mistake. It's all about the build. So even if you play the wrong note or you're in the wrong key, it's more of an offering. How can you build on that? It's a, it's a nice challenge. Uh, and that's that's a bigger, that's a harder one for, for us to embrace in our organizations because no one wants to make a mistake. It could be very costly. It could be millions of dollars at work, at, at stake. I remember when I worked in the fashion industry, um, I once... Uh, thought I had made a really big mistake that would have been, you know, it was pretty serious. It could have been millions of dollars at stake. And I went to the vice president of my division of my group because my immediate boss was away and I, I wasn't able to get in touch with her to, to double check my work. Um, as it turns out, um, everything was fine. I, I, I didn't make the mistake I had thought I made, but at the time I, I had to go into this vice president's office and basically, mea culpa, I made a mistake and I was terrified. I thought I could be fired. And he had an incredible response to me. This, he First of all, he saw how distraught I was. He told me to sit down, tell me, listen, we're not doing heart surgery here. <laughs> you know, this is underwear, right? This is, what, this is for the Victoria's Secret account at the time. So first, his response was very human. And yeah. secondly, he said... Um, let, let's figure this out together. Let's go back. Let's retrace the steps. And the third thing he said to me was, look, if you don't make mistakes, you're not trying. 
when you when we make mistakes it actually shows that we're trying it shows that we are putting ourselves out there to problem solve and um like i said as it turned out i had not made the mistake i thought i made but i've never forgotten his response it was an incredible gift it was an incredible for um demonstration of leadership um to respond in such a human way to not shut down everything and to say okay well let's let's figure this out so um embracing mistakes is learned behavior and it's something that we see jazz musicians do incredibly well yeah what i mean by that is that um right now we don't behave improvisationally in our organizations and what i mean by that is to be improvisational means we're more experimental we say yes and we're adaptive uh we're self organizing and a lot of us have to work in organizations where you have to stick to the rule book we're not very good at pivoting and being adaptive and in the future um the organizations that will flourish the leaders who will flourish will be the ones who are able to uh be more experimental who encourage their teams to be experimental especially because we'll have a lot more technology that's uh, taking up basic tasks right we'll we'll have automation we will there will be more robotics involved there will be more artificial intelligence and augmented reality and virtual reality these are things that are actually here now it's not like science fiction in the future it's happening right now so rather than uh fight against that the opportunity is to say okay The truth is there are going to be some basic tasks in the way we work that are going to be taken that will go away. But what's the but now there's more space that's opened for us to show up in a more human way. And one of the ways we can be more human is to be invited to be more creative. And I talk about something called the three eyes. And the three eyes are inquiry, improvisation and intuition. These are the ways we can exercise toggling between wonder and rigor to solve problems. So if we just look at improvisation, the future of work means that as we make more room to be human, we're also making more room to be improvisational. Uh, again, just to summarize on this point, I think most organizations are designed or structured to avoid deviations and eliminate errors. But those deviations and errors are actually opportunities for yeah. new ideas that yeah. can actually have an impact not just on the business result yeah. which is the most important thing at the end of the day. Mm. Um we are already rounding up. We're rounding up on the interview at this point. Um so we we'll just um at this point Natalie gave us some practical tips for companies and employees. Um but before we listen to that, let's hear her tell us about her new book and what she's currently up to. Yes, thank you. The Creativity Leap is a book that launched in June of 2020. Um I have been very um grateful for the response to the book. It's one two best business books of 2020 shortlist. It recently was part of Fast Company's 2021 World Changing Ideas Awards. So, it's really a book that offers inspiration. and practical techniques. Every chapter ends with a practical tip for the individual and for the company to try to apply. And so in that book, your listeners will be able to find 
all sorts of examples based on the interviews I did with over 50 people who come from law, technology, farming, uh, aerospace engineering, um, beekeepers, um, a whole diverse range of people who share their own ways that they are applying wonder and rigor to solve problems and are being creative uh, in, in this moment. Um, and like I said, it also comes with practical tips. I also am launching um, the Wonder Rigor Lab. It's an online course that launches in August. Uh, it has, um, we're going to be starting to announcing it uh, around July 20th of 2021 for some really good early bird pricing. And after that, the pricing increasingly gets to the full price. But for the, your listeners who are curious, they can go to my website, which is figure8thinking.com. That's F-I-G-U-R-E, the number eight, thinking.com. And under the, the products, or it's either the services or the products tab, I think it's services. Yes, they'll find a tab called course, and they'll be able to register the interest. And after July 20th, they'll be able to uh, take advantage of the early bird pricing. So the online course, the book is what I've been up to. There's also something called the Wonder Rigor Discovery Deck. It's a card game uh, full of, of enticing questions and that's available on Amazon. And I would just love it if your listeners stayed in touch and uh, buy the book and let me know what they thought. For the individual, one tip that I really recommend um, is to take daydream breaks. And this may seem, um, you know, sometimes people think of creativity as fluffy and woo woo, but here's the challenge. We are only optimizing probably 30% of our brain. And part of the problem is we're only focused on that frontal lobe of that really focused thinking. And we're trying to innovate, innovate, innovate. Mm. And the oxymoron is that we will never innovate if we don't pause. It is impossible to wonder when you're going 80 miles an hour. It will not happen. And so one must begin to design into their day moments for wonder. And one way to do that is through taking daydream breaks. I do this. Sometimes I can only afford 90 seconds because I have such a packed day. Other days I have 15 minutes. Some days I have five minutes. And what that looks like for me, um, it's a beautiful summer day here. So I will go outside, I'll sit on the steps and I'll just, and also I have my my timer with me because I got to get back to work, but I will time it for two minutes and I'll just watch the clouds float by or I'll watch an ant crawl on the sidewalk. And what is amazing to me is that after I do this, when I go back to the work that I have to do, I come back refreshed, revitalized, and our brains aren't machines. They are incredibly dynamic, multi-dimensional. Actually, there's our brain and there's the mind, right? So what I'm talking about is really amplifying and expanding the mind. So for the individual, I encourage you start. You can start as soon as you hear this, finish listening to this podcast, begin to integrate short daydream breaks into your day. 
And if you don't believe me, just try it as an experiment. Try it for the next 10 days or for the next 30 days. For teams, one of the things that we can do is to really start to incorporate the one of the three eyes of inquiry and curiosity. And um, what if you encouraged um, your teams to submit questions anonymously, right? It could be if you're working together in person, it could be anonymous post-its on a wall. Um, if, if you're still distanced and working remotely, you can figure out some sort of way for people to submit anonymous questions. You could probably do it through a, a, a doodle poll or something like that. There's, I mean, you're, you're smart people. You, you can figure that out, right? But you start to incorporate a ritual, a habit, a practice of encouraging questions. And then maybe once a week, you pick one of those questions that will be part of a discussion for a meeting that you that you focus on. So that's another example that will start to um, shift the culture to being less of tyranny of no to a much more expansive way of thinking. And then there's no question shaming. You can't attribute it to one person, ask this question, make it anonymous and also incentivize it. What, what, what will you, and, and be silly and, and fun and playful. What's the prize? What's the reward? For, we're the team that asks the most questions, right? What do you get for that? Uh, so those are the types of things I would encourage people to start doing. I do hope that our listeners, you know, try out some of the practical tips that we share on every episode because they're very helpful and very, very effective. Okay, so on that note, we have, you know, come to the end of this episode. It was another knowledge-filled, packed episode, and we would like to thank Natalie Nixon for this interview. It was so, 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 so interesting. Thank you so much for granting it. And we also want to encourage everyone listening to get her book, the creativity leap and you can also visit her website she talked about it figure eight thinking.com so it's www.figure8 the number eight thinking.com so as this you have anything to say i would also encourage people to watch her um, talk on on ted talk the one on improvisation at work i would also recommend that people um, read about the work of frank g barrett on what organizations can learn from jazz music. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very rich and insightful work he has done. Um, so apart from creativity, he also talks about what people can learn, what leaders can learn and how to manage teams better. Nice. Okay, so um, so many things um, to learn from this episode, but I'll just share one or two of it. I think the first thing is the importance of being a hybrid thinker and how combining, you know, knowledge from different fields help to solve problems and, you know, you're not rigid towards new ideas. And the highlight for me, like I said, is when she was explaining one of these, um, Barrett 7, which is the solo and support. And which I think, you know, seems a bit difficult for us in this part of the world, but it's something we're learning. The fact that as a leader, taking the back seat and letting, you know, maybe a younger person or seemingly less experienced, experienced, you know, person take the lead. And yes, in that, there might be things that look like mistakes, but who knows, it can be the big break for the company or a window to even more creative ideas that can be implemented. Yes, exactly. And this would only happen if 
leaders um, le- want, want to experiment more, yeah. which is what you talked about in improvisation. Yeah. So yes, these are some of the things that I learned. And um, do, do you want to say anything or? I mean, I think just the fact that we can learn so much from jazz music tells us how every field, every sector, every every aspect of life has what it can offer. Yeah. I'll give you a very short example. There are seven things that I've learned today. I learned from watching football. There are concepts in human resources that I understood better because I took those issues and I took them to football. I, I understood them in football and I brought that back understanding back to, to human, human resources. resources. So the concept of skill and competence, I, I found it easier to understand in football. And once I did that in football, I was, was able to understand to that in human resources. So, I, so there's nothing, nothing is lost. No knowledge is lost. Yeah. So I would advise people to read wide. Read wide. So there's never a mistake. There's never a mistake in learning. In no, learning. Mm. there's never a mistake. Great. Okay, so we have come to the end of this episode. Um, as always, this episode is being edited and produced by Joshua Praise, and the soundtrack is an original music of Jester Christos. The poster design is done by Faith Folari and Joseph Okafo. Do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's at Colavari Solutions on YouTube, on Instagram, and on LinkedIn. And you can listen to the podcast on various podcast platforms. Jesus, teacher, Google Podcast. Um, where else has this? Okay, majorly that's it. <laughs> okay, so until the next episode, like we'll always say, have a very creative week. Goodbye. Bye bye.